This is the Daily Growth Discipleship Podcast, where we explore how to live a lifestyle of discipleship to help you grow in the everyday moments of life. I'm Chris Lamberth. And I'm Josh Havens. When we look at living out the Christian life with others, things get messy. Why? Because we're all different. We have different cultural backgrounds. We have different presuppositions. And so when it comes to walking with others, sometimes there's going to be friction. So one of the things I wanted to ask Evan about was how you walk with others in a group, particularly when values don't always match. One of the examples he gave in his book was walking with a group of three people, and he gave them an assignment to go out and create a rule of life for themselves. And they each came back and responded very differently. There was a lady who was very gung-ho and did it to perfection, and there was another guy, for instance, who didn't want to do it at all. And at first glance, it might seem like one of those people are more engaged than the other. But as Evan pointed out, it wasn't so. The man just had a more relational background, and so he thought filling out a form, such as a rule of life, although beneficial, was missing the purpose of why he was in that group in the first place. And the lady wasn't doing it out of a desire to grow. Instead, she was doing it from a desire of perfection and for performance. And this led me to want to ask Dr. Howard about how you discern how to walk with others. And it's something that he likes to call the art of discernment. I almost ask you a follow-up question to dig down a little bit deeper into that process, because again, I want to I want to systematize uh, the answers, particularly when you're meeting with the, uh, your friend. You know, my question was going to be, what do you do, or how do you talk with somebody who's very resistant to giving an answer? You know, especially like, how can you improve? But then I re- I recall that you wrote about this actually in your book, and you give a really good example of three different people in a small group that you're walking with, and. It brings up a point that I wanted to ask you about, which is that spiritual formation is a discerning art. Can you talk about what you mean by it's a discerning art, especially because we want to turn it into a science? True. Yeah, or a formula. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, I, uh, <laughs> that's the thing, I've had all these conversions. And uh, through most of the conversions, I had this season of being a Pharisee with regard to each of those uh, streams, you know. So in my evangelical years, you know, I would be the, the greatest Bible teacher and demand that you know the doctrines. And, and then, you know, when it was the contemplative, you know, I'd make sure that everybody, you know, did Lexio Divina or, or Centering Prayer or, you know, just all of these different things in the charismatic, you know, you've got to speak in tongues. And so you'd have all these things. But actually, the question is, what is your space in this particular time, in this part of your journey? And so it's it's a wisdom approach to spiritual formation, not just a menus, you know, where like, oh, you're a brother Christian if you're doing X, Y, Z, if you, you know what I mean, or have had these experiences. No, it's what is the spirit doing in you, in your context, in your culture, in your particular kind of church um, and tradition. So the art of it 
is knowing your context, knowing the people surrounding you, knowing what stage of life you're at, having good relationships with others who really know you. We can call you on your own Phariseeism or, or call you on your fear of moving forward or whatever it might be. And then being able to affirm this particular strategy for this particular point of time. You know, I have what I call, um, when I teach on this at seminary, I have people do what uh, what I call like um, a state of my union, um, where your union with God, your union with others, um, your union with yourself. And, and one of the things I ask them is, what's your cutting edge these days? You know, what, where, where is God really bringing conviction or invitation in your own life? And we've got to acknowledge that. And that's going to... It's going to initiate different practices for us. How does that relate to what you talk about in the book as a rule of life? Is that the same thing or are they different? No, they're not. Thank you for asking the question. They're not the same. Um, the state of my union is the exercise that I encourage people to do prior to writing a rule of life or some kind of, you know, life statement or, or way of doing living. No, the rule, it's the same way as you don't make a budget until you actually document what am I spending my money on now. And then that statement of what am I spending my money on and how do I live, that then moves you into the possibility of writing a budget. The same is true with life in general. We do a rule prologue or a state of my union, which summarizes where I have been and where I am, but with a view to where I am going. The rule of life then takes the next step of given this review of where I've been and now where I am, you know, realizing my cutting edge, realizing my circumstances, realizing my key relationships. Now, given all of that, what kind of rule of life is the most appropriate for me? Does that make sense, the, the distinction? I think that's an excellent uh, description of it. Could you guide us through what might a uh, rule of life look like? It doesn't have to be real detailed, but just uh, in case somebody wants to begin this practice, what would uh, a rule of life look like? And we will link to your State of My Union form. You have that on your website with the video that goes along with that. Oh, that's right. Yeah, so you've done your, you've done your State of My Union exercise. And you now know where you've been and where you may be going. So then what you want to do is you want to like say, oh, maybe in some brief statement, like, what is the gospel about? Where do I, uh, where do I stand with regard to this? And then how am I going to live this out in my life? It may, re you may talk about some, uh, you know, basic values and these sorts of things. You may um, include external factors. Things like your use of money or your use of time. Usually most people will talk about time, um, key relationships. Um, then and along with external factors, there may be some internal things. You know, I think the Lord really wants to work on my self-image. And so I want to make sure and spend part of my life or, or just be attentive to how I view myself in this next season. And you write that down as part of your rule of life. So um, schedule, external things, internal things, all of that would go into a rule of life along with just a basic statement of what am I here about? 
And then along with that, one of the things that you said in this area of discerning, you know, learning to discern what's best for your formation and, and where you fit in, you made a mention of something, and I had to write it down and ask you. The statement is, nevertheless, some will lean to one side. Indeed, some will need to lean to one side, and some will lean to the other. The task of transformation is to discern what is appropriate. And I really liked that you said some will need to lean to one side. Can you talk about that? What do you mean by they will need to lean to one side? Yeah, I think either personality or season or tradition that we have different inclinations. The fullness of the gospel of Christ is very full. And I, I think about, you know, like uh, some are red and some are green and some are yellow, and we just lean towards that. I've watched in my own personal life as I've gone through these different conversions, I've had to allow the pendulum to go outside just so I could experience things. And at times... In my Phariseeism, it, was, it wasn't it was always healthy, but I needed to allow myself to um, make an error on that side of the margin, if you know what I mean. And that's that's my own personal thing from that side, but I actually think there are individuals, not just seasons, that some of us are just going to be more like the, the really contemplative side of thing is going to be you know, a primary part of one person. Um, the academic side is going to be more deeper for another person. Um, the action side. Um, and, and this is, I mean, this is what the body of Christ is. We are, we're all different parts that God brings together. And so I think we need to lean into being a toe or a, a, a lip or, you know, whatever, what other piece we may happen to be. I've often thought that one of the reasons Martin Luther had to lean so radically towards freedom, his personal freedom in Christ, was because of how condemned he felt by the law. And so, whereas maybe for most of us, we don't need to to lean as heavily and, you know, his famous line of, if you're going to sin, sin boldly, whereas that's not the, the best counsel for most people. I think for him, it was a position he had to take because it sort of balanced his personality out, I guess, you know, with what his history had been with God up until that point. Yes, yes. There's actually a delightful study about the person who gave Martin Luther his doctoral degree. His name is Andreas Bodenstein von Karlstadt. And um, and whereas Luther had felt terribly condemned and really needed to um, lean into the grace of God and the, the role of faith and mercy, these sides of things, Karlstadt was a persnickety, um, pharisaic, you know, professor. And what he needed was a lifestyle of repentance. And, and both of them became Protestants right in the same period of time. But each of them had a slightly different leaning. And I think, and some of the literature will tell you, that that was because of each of their personalities. Chris and I both have Pentecostal background with the Assemblies of God. And it feels like, at least in my experience anyway, I won't speak for Chris, that there's an unspoken expectation that all Christians look and function the same way when it comes to Christian spiritual formation. 
And it's been really tough for me to get out of that kind of thinking and, and that kind of frame of mind. If somebody's trying to escape this Pharisaic trap that, that you kind of mentioned, what's the best way we can try to break out of that with the Spirit's help? You know, let me speak specifically to the tradition that you are, you know, you mentioned, the uh, the more Pentecostal charismatic uh, tradition. In 1994, I was associate pastor at San Francisco Vineyard Church. And um, that was during what was called the Toronto Blessing. There was a season where we had nightly prayer meetings that would go on for hours um, all kinds of amazing things went on, healings, deliverances, people saved. It was just a remarkable, remarkable season. I was touched deeply during this period of time. Some, however, were not. It was difficult for them being in large rooms with large numbers of people and loud music and expectations that they would laugh or fall or cry or something like that. And they got the label, unfortunately, of hard to receive. And that went hard, that was difficult for them to look at themselves and say, I'm hard to receive. What does that mean about my spiritual life? There was one time where we as pastors were um, having a prayer meeting about this very issue. And, you know, what do we do about these people in our church that are hard to receive? And I remember during that prayer just having an image of me, of us being in a, a like a, a big room, like a cathedral. And I didn't really know it was a cathedral. And, I, and there were windows with blinds. And I went around and opened one by one blinds on these windows and discovered that they were stained glass windows. And each one was painted with a different image and colors, and it was really beautiful. And the light came into the windows and shined on the people who were hard to receive. And, and I saw them come alive. And I really saw that as an image of my role during this season of the Toronto Blessing was to help gently come aside people and introduce them to the wide range of of resources, practices, traditions, ways of looking at God, through which, I mean, I remember my wife uh, during this very period going on walks in the woods. And for her, that was just such a rich season of finding God, not in, in the middle of the big meetings, but but going on walks in, in, in the woods and just opening windows for people to receive the light of Christ. And that's a great story. <laughs> that, that, thank you. Thank you for that, because somebody like me who has grown up in a Southern Pentecostal tradition, and, I, and I'm grateful for that, I can definitely relate, because I've been on the other side, I've been on both sides, and that when I was a youth and I sort of rededicated my life back to Christ, I needed that, that ecstatic experience with the Lord was very moving for me at that time coming from a period of, of, of backslid and being away from the Lord. So it gave me a rejuvenation and an energy and a boldness in the Spirit that I hadn't known before. But I remember even just like a year and a half afterwards, I found myself sort of drifting back in the crowd as everybody else was pushing up towards the stage. I found myself pulling back and wanting to be a lot more 
contemplative. Of course, I didn't realize at the time I was an introvert, but um, so that helped too. But, you know, it, it was, it was sort of a process that I had to stumble into to discover these contemplative practices can be really life giving, I think, especially to introverts, but of people of all kinds. I mean, you know, like you're talking about here, and it is so refreshing to hear that you're not dry or dusty or hard to receive. Yeah, that 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 phrase right there can be so damaging to somebody when you're talking about coming before the loving arms of our Father. Mm, mm, mm. And indeed, you know, interesting enough, I'm an extrovert, and I live in a wilderness and very far away from people. And one of the things that I have had to learn and grow in with the contemplative side of things is as an extrovert, the fact of the matter is I am never alone. That I am known most deeply and truly and wonderfully by uh, by God. And so I spend my time with the, my best friend all day. Thanks for listening to the Daily Growth Discipleship Podcast. If you want to stay up to date with everything that's happening at Daily Growth, go to dailygrowthdiscipleship.com and subscribe for free. Or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Be sure to check out the last chapter in our conversation with Evan to hear him talk about the most valuable thing he's learned in the Christian life.